With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and uh, we've got our Friday panel this morning. we got Art Betke, Herb Martin, and Eric Allen. Uh, we're going to start out with a an interesting story that's been coming through about a massive lumber operation here in BC. I think they're based in BC, but they have holdings elsewhere in Canada. West Fraser. Uh, there's been interest from a European uh, lumber company and manufacturer of wood products, uh, Kronos, uh, who's interested in taking them over. But you know, there's other kind of interesting factors here. There's a recent story in the Globe and Mail that pointed to about $750 million in banked lumber duties that are held by West Fraser. Uh, you know, the we know that there is declining timber supply in forests around British Columbia and likely elsewhere due to mountain pine beetle salvage harvesting. And, you know, my question, I guess, is, is the value of this timber operation in its assets or in its banked duties um, and should we be should we be inviting European outfits to come and take over one of our own home-based large corporations? Art, we can start with you. What do you think about this proposed deal? You think it's going to happen? And do you think that West Fraser has assets beyond those bank duties? Yeah, they definitely have assets. They're a huge uh, conglomeration. Um, uh, they're all over the place, uh, uh, diversified uh, forest products. Uh, so there's definitely assets there. Uh, you notice in British Columbia, as um, the uh, allowable cut has declined uh, because of the pine beetle, uh, mills have closed, yet uh, they've kept on cutting. You know, there's still some value there. And uh, so it's got to be looking pretty valuable for, you know, if Kronos is, is interested, there's got to be a value there besides just the possible refund of uh, duties. So, yeah, uh, I can see it's, it's if, if there's this much talk about it, it's probably in the works. Uh, the Russ Fraser says they haven't received any offers, so nothing's on the table yet, but yeah, right, yeah. Right, and I think we saw their stock price jump actually immediately after the the rumor of the offer even, right? Which is, yep. which is interesting. Eric, what do you think about this potential offer here in, in West Fraser? Like what, what would it mean for the region and the, and the province? Uh, probably very little. I mean, West Fraser themselves, they started in Cornell, I guess, a number of years ago, but they're, they're a Washington State company uh, owned by the Ketchum family. And depending on how they bought the stock, they actually could put a stop to this if they wanted to. But uh, there's more to it than that. Uh, Canfor, well, not Canfor, but uh, Jim Patterson owns about 10% shares in uh, West Fraser, so he'd have a say on what was going on there also. Aside from that, uh, West Fraser owns a number of mills in the U.S., and so does Canfor, and uh, I think, I don't know, but it would look like on these uh, duties that they have... Canfor probably got something like seven hundred million also sitting there, and when it's settled, a certain amount it gets paid back to the Canadian uh, companies that ship the lumber down there, and then the balance is distributed, if I understand it correctly, among the American companies that are a member of the association that took this to uh, court in the first place. So they could get paid money on both ends of the, uh, the spectrum. 
could get money from the Canadian part of it, and then uh, whatever they get refunded, and then whatever the portion they get on the United States part of it, if the mills that they own are a member of that particular association. So there's that to it. And then uh, uh, West Fraser has a couple of mills, and, uh, and I think they might have a pulp mill in Cornell, and uh, they're a pretty skookum company. And uh, uh, maybe they'll sell. I don't know. I uh, I think they're in a great position to make money for the next ten years. Yeah, I mean, I guess the main my main concern is the lack of supply to those mills that were built for mountain pine beetle salvage. I'm not sure if they're continuing to be able to run or if they're meeting they're they're coming to the end of their lifespan. But I wanted to get back to that duty question, Herb. Uh, how much of this duty? You know, this banked duty, do you think, has to do with the value of the company? Uh, well, it's definitely a, a, a high proportion of the uh, interest in uh, in these companies. Uh, together, Canadian producers have over $5.8 billion Canadian uh, locked up in the U.S. Sorry, at the moment. Um, this is um, it's a sad state of affairs, really, that uh, B.C. government has um, uh, not negotiated an end to this uh, lumber dispute. Uh, it's been how many years? Uh, I think, um, well, anyway, uh, 10 years, I think, at this point. In the so, latest one. Yeah, in the latest yeah. one, yeah. So, you know, and, and what the Americans have been asking for is more competition. And uh, basically 20% of BC's timber supply is put up for auction every year. And on that basis, uh, they determine what the stumpage rates are. And the Americans, uh, rightly so, uh, don't believe that that actually constitutes any reasonable imitation of free enterprise. So, um, you know, there, there's there's an easy solution here, and uh, I think the government is so beholden to some of these large corporate uh, uh, entities that um, they they uh, they just can't see their way to it. Uh, it would benefit uh, all of BC to see more competition for the for the timber supply. You'd have more innovation. Uh, you'd have smaller companies innovating, uh, pr- producing new products, creating jobs. And uh, we haven't seen that in a long, long time. In fact, over the last 10 years, it's estimated that the forest, forest industry in BC has lost over 50% of its jobs. And uh, to make matters worse, uh, uh, the Ministry of Forests actually is running at a deficit in the last uh, five years, it's lost on the average of $400 million a year, uh, basically due to uh, forest fire expenses. But there is no reason why uh, the forest industry shouldn't be pulling its own share and contributing to the BC coffers, as it once did uh, in the late uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, on a, um, if you look at the income it produced or it supplied to the BC Treasury, on a present net day or present value uh, uh, basis, uh, they were contributing three billion dollars every year to the BC economy or to the BC just the uh, tax revenue. Tax revenue. Wow. Um, you know the question I've got. You mentioned the, the lower the reduction in um, employment. I, I've done that those numbers, uh, and you look at this huge reduction in in the jobs in the forest industry like across the board based on BC statistics but you see the same value you know more or less coming across in terms of GDP account like accounted for by inflation and to me that says uh, automation right and reduction in number of people required per board foot produced basically yeah. so I mean how do we how do we 
Like, there's a couple of questions about about this system that I'm interested in kind of addressing. Uh, one is, okay, we've got this this issue with like fewer people working, but the second is is I guess consolidation because if some of those if, if we're talking about these these mega mills really kind of taking over and 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 being most efficient, how does somebody like Dunkley or Carrier or or Sinclair compete with that? Okay, well, you know, there's uh, a, a common misconception that efficiency. Uh, equals um, sustainability, and because it most well, certainly doesn't. The uh, the highest harvest rates we had in BC were at the end of the 80s, and it was close to 90 million cubic meters of wood harvested every year. And next year, the uh, harvest is supposed to drop to 46 million. So I mean, we've we've halved the uh, output from the forest, <clears throat> um, and we've uh, we've gone to gigantic clear cuts that were never allowed previously. So, you know, I had this discussion with someone from uh, Vanderhoof yesterday. He said, well, we're planting lots of trees. And I said, well, sure. But, you know, if you um, uh, harvest on a, on a huge basis and you plant six-inch high trees, uh, you're not uh, getting ahead. You're, uh, you know, the, the way we used to log 50 years ago was you'd go in and you'd selectively harvest. You'd take out some of the larger, older trees, and you'd leave 20-, 30-year-old trees uh, behind. Uh, they're most definitely the case with uh, aspen mixed forests. Uh, what we've done there is we've actually, uh, in uh, uh, Prince George and Vanderhoof, uh, we've nuked uh, over 300,000 hectares at public expense of aspen predominant um, uh, forests to, to uh, eliminate the aspen. And um, that is, in fact, our fastest growing tree in this area so i i just want to let art and eric jump in here if you've got i can see art has something that he'd like to say about the <laughs> issue of, i mean consolidation or the uh the fact of like whether or not this is a free market economy what were you going to say oh i've got lots of things <laughs> going on at length and i'd yeah. like to address some of the things he said like first of all he said the u.s wants more competition in uh, the lumber uh, no they want less competition we're out competing them um the United States, uh, the Americans, uh, the, the majority of their land, I think, something like 65% of their forest land is uh, privately owned, whereas here in B.C. it's uh, only about 5%. Uh, 95% is crown land, so we just do not operate the same way, and we never can. Um, now, way back, uh, a long time ago, um, decades ago, uh, when... Uh, Lumber prices tanked and the market was tough. Uh, the, the practice in the United States was just to shut down until the prices went up. But here in BC, they couldn't do that because the government had this deal. They said, "Okay, we're going to give you tenure, and but you must harvest the logs. You must keep people employed." So there might be some downturns, but uh, quota was given on a five-year rotating basis and at the end of every five-year period all of their quota must have been harvested or they would lose it yeah and this is i mean this social contract is still yeah ostensibly in in place even if it's not really being abided by by the so the, the bc uh companies had to keep on working so they got lean and mean they got efficient and uh we had the most efficient uh sawmills in the world uh, we got, uh, we're leading the world in extraction and stuff, uh, modernization, automation, all these things, and recovery. Uh, way back in the 70s, uh, 
there, there was a Macmillan Forest Products near 100 Mile that I toured their mill. It was one of the leading ones, a privately owned mill, but leading in the amount of recovery. They pioneered uh, very thin curved chainsaws that were water cooled in order to not waste wood in sawdust. Uh, and uh, uh, now, back then we had a board foot scale, and then they went to firm wood cubic scale. Now, board foot is it determines how much lumber you can get out of a log and this pay stumpage on only that amount of wood. You don't pay stumpage on the slabs or the sawdust or any of the waste. Board foot means every piece, every bit of sound wood inside that bark, you're going to pay for no matter what you do with it. The Americans, last I heard, are still working on board foot scale. They get 40% of their lumber free. Hmm. So when they accuse us of cheating, they're not doing so good themselves. This is interesting. These details are, uh, you know, kind of uh, important for understanding some of these issues. Eric, did you have anything to add here? Well, I'm just thinking in terms of, uh, you know, when they got rid of a pertency and they could shut down these mills, you didn't have to to uh, build the logs in the area where they were uh, logged. Uh, trucks now going to nine axles from eight axles so they could get a bigger payload in the hauling. And so we're hauling everywhere from Mackenzie west of Andrew, everything to some of the mills here in Prince George, and maybe as far as Dunkley. So you kind of look at that and say, well, how is that possible? You know, why would they they truck it all that way when they could maybe just left that mill open at Alpierre or Clear Lake or something and done it there? But I guess, you know, it's the economy of scale, and, and if they're working... Uh, a super mill at 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week. Sometimes all it means is putting on an additional shift. If you see these big tree snippers out in the bush snipping away, they snip away all day long. They can outsnip any uh, amount of logging trucks that are going to haul that day. I'm sure they're always ahead of the game, and uh, and so there's significant savings there. So what you're paying a little bit extra in hauling it to a mill. 100 or 200 miles away obviously works because that's what they're doing and they're making money at it. The other thing that, uh, you know, we have to sort of be cognizant of is that this uh, duty on lumber, this has been going on for years and years and years. I think three times now Canada's won the case or went to the World Trade Organization or something we won. The Americans argue it all the time, but they don't have a valid argument, so... This time here seems to be taking a long time, uh, uh, than, longer than normal, and I don't know if it's just our government's not negotiation or the Americans are not negoti- negotiating, but uh, a certain person that money's coming back at some point. Well, this has been an interesting conversation. We'll have to take a break, and after this we'll talk about Justin Trudeau's haircut. Hello, I'm Carlos Núñez, the Galician Piper. Hey, this is Tim Brennan with the Dropkick Murphys. Hey, this is Dave King from Flag and Molly. Sean Smith from Lunaset. Karen Casey here. This is Ian Byrne from The Elders. Join me, Patricia Fraser, for the best Celtic music mix. Celt in a Twist, Canada's contemporary Celtic radio hour. Celt in a Twist with your host, Patricia Fraser. Tuesday nights at 8, following Fiddle Fest with AJ, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Choosing to be curious is choosing to be vulnerable because it requires us to surrender to uncertainty. 
we have to ask questions, admit to not knowing, risk being told that we shouldn't be asking, and sometimes make discoveries that lead to discomfort. This is Kaylee from Books and Company, and that was a quote from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, mapping meaningful connection and the language of the human experience. Come check out this big, beautiful self-improvement title in store at 1685 Third Avenue or online at booksandcompany.ca. We're always happy to chat with fellow book lovers. Summer heat can be very uncomfortable. Help alleviate this discomfort with a properly fitting bra and swimwear at Tops and Bottoms. A proper fit will help you feel great and look your best whether you're frolicking on the beach or at a staff barbecue. For an unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service, book an appointment today online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great summer support for the women of Prince George. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, winds to the southwest at 20 this afternoon, a high of 25 with a high UV index. Clear tonight, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 8. Sunny on Saturday, winds to the southwest at 20 gusting to 40 in the afternoon, a high of 26 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So although Trudeau's haircut is certainly part of this story, really we're talking about whether or not um, the cross-country touring he's doing right now is uh, actually in advance of a potential snap election. Uh, he was in Kelowna doing very just really soft touch meet and greets. He was in Calgary. Um, there were some interesting stories coming out about these great crowds that had come to see him and how much he was loved, but they were actually Liberal Party fundraisers being reported on. Um, and then, of course, he was in Nova Scotia. It was all like in the matter of two days, I think, uh, uh, announcing some investment for clean energy. So I guess the question is, uh, we'll start with Eric. You know, what do you think this means for for the the short term future of our electoral stability here? Uh, and also, what do you think about his new haircut? <laughs> well, I really don't know what's going on. I mean, if he's doing a going around the country doing a pre election campaign, uh, he's pretty low profile. You know, the people that he was talking to in Kelowna. I think it was a boys and girls club, a packing house in a fruit stand where he bought some cherries or something. And also, basically, they were allowed to take uh, videos, but they weren't allowed to ask any questions. And if they if they yelled questions from the crowd, the police were going to escort them out of the uh, building. And, uh, you know, really, uh, we should pause on that one. I mean, what's what's the point of even being there if you can't ask a question? And if you do... They'll march out of the building. Like it's beyond me. And maybe it comes with the haircut. Maybe it had some sort of effect on his head or his brain or something. Because <laughs> I don't see this as a good campaign move on his part at all. I don't understand what he's up to. I can see the one in Nova Scotia. You know, they they burn oil and and uh, natural gas and everything to get their electricity now. So if you can go to clean energy and get fifty percent of their uh, Eliminate fifty percent of their greenhouse gas emissions. That's a good thing. Uh, Two hundred fifty-five million dollars to do it. I don't think it'll create any jobs because uh, right now they do a lot of that coal, and a lot of people work in the coal mines. I guess so. Maybe it'll be a Mexican standoff with uh, you create new jobs, eliminate old ones. I don't know. We'll probably hear more about the job part of it later on, but. Anyway, I'm confused. Okay. Herb, what do you think? Is this signaling something for us here? I mean, he's really getting around. I don't think so, actually. I think it's. Um, <clears throat> I think he realizes the danger to uh, the body politic that um, 
the F. Trudeau movement has sort of instituted. And I think he's just trying to bring um, uh, just, a, a new, just a basic level of social discourse and uh, into, the, uh, into the equation. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, we should be talking about uh, political issues, not about people's uh, haircuts or sock choices. Um, you know, the fact that it's degenerated to that is, um, uh, is really a kind of a blight on our, uh, uh, our, uh, our, our society. Quite frankly, like this I think is. You're um, right, Herb. I think it, they probably got that from the way uh, uh, Harper was treated by the uh, the press and that over the last ten or twelve years when he was in power. So we learned a lot from that. That you know, you you don't take the high road in politics. Uh, you character assassinate people. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, you know, no matter who started it, uh, it's it's something that really should end, and we should start talking about issues. Um, uh, I noticed that Polyev is, is talking about ducking out of the next um, uh, 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 political he's, debate. Uh, he's not going to show up. Leadership. Yeah, he's, he's, he's actually going to be fined $50,000 for not showing up. I mean, is it come to the point where uh, we're just going to elect people because, what, they, they're, they're opposed to something that uh, we don't like? Let's, uh, I'd like to hear some, some actually some issues uh, discussed and some points made, and um, let's go forward on that basis rather than this um, kind of marginalization and uh, symbolization of people uh, as, uh, I don't know, somehow unworthy because of their, uh, their hair, hair choice or, uh, or clothing choice. I, don't, I, I will just say I don't think it's about his haircut as much as it's actually about, I think that the F. Trudeau movement is about resentment, uh, about privilege, uh, more than anything. Uh, and the and the the questionable uh, background he's got to to be prime minister. I mean, I I really dis I'm 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 disappointed that everywhere you look in Prince George, you seem to see an F Trudeau sticker on trucks. And I think that most people who have those stickers don't actually know what the federal government does. Uh, but the the question, you know, of of like where it comes from, I don't think it's because people don't want to talk about the issues. I think that they're they're resentful about. This, this kind of privilege thing. Art, I know you brought this one up, so I'm going to give you the last word here. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going into an election either. It's only been 10 months since the last one, and he's got this alliance with the NDP that gives him a de facto majority till the end of the term, four years away, or well, maybe three and a half now or something like that. So it, it would make no sense to call it an election, but, you know, I'm reminded of his father. Uh, he used to wear his hair rather longish too, but every time just before he was going to call an election, he would get a short haircut. And that was always a signal. After the first couple times, that was a signal. And gee, maybe he's trying to follow in his father's footsteps. I don't know. It certainly didn't make him look any better, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, but he's he's still he's he's traveling around the country. He's glad handing. He's handing out money. Uh, he he um, he canceled one uh, spot. He was going to show up a, a brewery in uh, Ottawa uh, because uh, there were twelve protesters there with signs and everything. And so he he doesn't allow questions because the questions are hard questions now. He's he's been. 
becoming less and less popular, causing a lot of problems, and people are angry, and uh, the softball questions aren't coming so much anymore. Uh, they're getting to be hard questions, and he, he, he's trying to uh, block any hint of protest or anything. It's all got to be a wonderful, mobbed by adoring fans and so on, Trudeau mania, and... Uh, why would he be doing that if uh, if it wasn't an, a, a pre-election campaign? It it it, it really makes no sense. Uh, uh, this is the guy. Also, he's really championing uh, fighting climate change. And uh, somebody did a, a little bit of research, and they found out that he has the biggest carbon footprint in all of Canada. You know, it's not some multi-billionaire or oil mogul or anything like that it's our prime minister so you know I, I guess that tells me he doesn't believe what he's preaching but uh, it's good politics well yeah i mean we have to give him the a little bit of leeway there considering he's the prime minister of the second largest country in the world he's got to get around right he but doesn't I, have to glad hand around campaigning <laughs> and all these announcements they fly across the country to make an announcement of some cash being handed out if they really believed it they could do that from ottawa they wouldn't have to go anywhere we have these modern communications devices nowadays uh you know one of the things that i did want to touch on here is is the issue on both sides i think with uh journalism we recently had a story coming out about pierre about poliev uh, saying uh, he wasn't going to respond to this this global journalist's questions, and he kind of weaponized that, and and you know kind of turned his Twitter mob against her, um, and you know this like we remember we had Trump who actually put journalists in cages at his events, and then and then like told the crowd how how badly they were lying about him, right? Uh, th- you know, it's for their own protection here. It, you know Trudeau then not allowing questions, and if you ask a question, you get you get thrown out. It seems to me like we have a much larger issue uh, happening on both sides here. If we're not allowed to ask our elected leadership questions about things that we think matter, and you know, big question for me is how do we get out of that? Well, Trudeau has always refused to answer questions from people he didn't like. Uh, somebody from the defunct. But you could say the same thing about Polyev then. Yeah, well, Trudeau set the standard, I guess. <laughs> Eric, you're going to jump in. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't like to see it go that way. I mean, these people are out in the public uh, because they're they're elected by the public and they're answerable to the public, and they should be answering questions. We don't get that many opportunities to uh, for the press or to also represent us in some ways. Um, to talk directly to the prime minister. When you do, you would expect some sort of an answer. There's no. They should be on the hot seat from time to time. I, I think that's part of our de- democracy. And if they're not, then what's the point of it all? I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at a picture here where Trudeau's going into a place in Kelowna, and I can count at least eight people there besides him. And I'm thinking they're the way they're standing around. That they're secret service. They're probably whatever. all security. Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if Art's got a point, if he's using taxpayer dollars to fly around the country, we should at least get to ask him some questions. Yeah. We'll take a break. We'll be back after these messages.
The Fraser Basin Council's youth program is giving young people in B.C. an opportunity to collaborate toward climate action in their own communities. Co-creating a sustainable B.C. brings together youth ages 16 to 30 with the goal of taking climate action at the community and regional level. Although there are limited spots available, it is an all-expenses-paid and inclusive initiative that strives to make participation as accessible as possible. The application link and more details are available at fbcyouthprogram.com. The Prince George Council of Seniors needs volunteers for their Meals on Wheels program. Volunteers work once a week from about 10.30 to noon delivering hot meals to homebound clients. To help out, you must be double vaccinated for COVID, have a friendly manner, a valid driver's license, and a reliable vehicle. A criminal record check will also be required. Pick up an application form from the Seniors Resource Centre on the corner of 7th and Victoria. On now at Two Rivers Gallery, Matrilineal, a new exhibition by interdisciplinary artist Haley Bassett. In difficult times, tools from our past can help us build new pathways forward. In the exhibition, Haley draws from her Métis and Eastern European heritage to explore new methods of recovery from gender-based violence. Matrilineal is on at Two Rivers Gallery through August 7th. Check it out today. Matrilineal from Haley Bassett at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Minds in Motion is a fitness and social program provided for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each fitness session is followed by social time, an opportunity to connect with others living with dementia. An in-person series is available in Prince George on Tuesdays through September 6th at the YMCA. To register or for more information, contact the Prince George Resource Centre at 250-564-7533 or email info.princegeorge at Alzheimer's bc.org This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station 93.1 CFIS-FM So I wanted to to, uh, address this issue that seems to be coming out about Hockey Canada You know, there were there's a really big allegation about a number of junior hockey players um, committing sexual assault uh, a number of years ago Um, and then it comes out that Hockey Canada is using a fund that is, I believe it's a trust, but it's a, it's set up using the the dues that you know regular kids pay to play hockey around the country to pay off sexual assault victims, um, you know. And there's like, I just I'm aghast. I'm I want to know what's happening with this organization. They've been grilled at. Uh, in the House of Commons, um, they've, you know, there are there are parents out there saying like, "What is it? this? Is our money? What? How are you? How are you justifying using this money to silence women who have been victimized?" Um, and I honestly believe that this issue should uh, go all the way down to our the the culture that we have uh, in the dressing room and of uh, grooming these young men to be, you know, these these high performing athletes. Who also end up being very entitled, frankly. They, the, everyone works around for them, and I think this is actually part of the problem here. Uh, the culture in that, in, in all professional sport that leads to, that leads to these kinds of awful abuses of power. Uh, Herb, what do you think about, like, what, what are we to do here with Hockey Canada? And, and this is our national sport. How are we supposed to kind of tackle this, what seems to be an endemic issue? Yeah, I mean, the, what you call professional sport. I mean, these are amateurs, right? And they're, yet, they're they're on the track, though. But they're right? on the track to become professionals. So, you know, it kind of uh, people have to really step back and start asking themselves what do they want from sport from their for their kids, 
I mean, realistically, everybody knows that uh, it's a one in a million shot to get into the NHL. And, um, you know, so what, what are you actually grooming your kids to do, right? Like you're, you're, you're training them to be, to what, to be a predator, to be uh, hyper-aggressive, um, to, you know, in, in, are you inculc- inculcating them in a, in a culture of violence? I mean, what, what, is, what are you trying to do? Uh, there's a lot of kids that are getting hurt from, uh, uh, f- you know, from that, from this, uh, from this game. Uh, perhaps it's time to step back and and say uh, maybe uh, the point of sport is to have fun, to recreate, to uh, become part of a, uh, a society that um, enjoys each other's company, rather than this uh, hyper partisanship, uh, hyper competitiveness. And um, an aggressiveness that uh, we seem to be uh, encouraging in our in our children. So uh, yeah, no, I think uh, we've, we've got to. Everyone's got to step back and really start asking some questions. I mean, I guess one of my questions I got is: Should we be? There are sixteen-year-old kids that get billeted all around the country, right? And then they're outside of the direct uh, supervision of their own parents. Is that leading to this kind of lack of judgment when they're like just developing some of those executive functions? I don't know. What do you think about this issue, Art? Well, I've heard of uh, sex abuse of the young boys uh, for years. And uh, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, it's just a one-off thing. But no, it seems to be ongoing. You keep hearing more and more stories of this going on. So that really surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting anything like that. Uh, and I guess the people in charge of Hockey Canada... They know it's ongoing, or and they're expecting more of it. So, I guess they maybe thought that they were had better prepare for some payouts. Uh, it's going to happen, and well, you know, you you can't hold a fundraiser for payouts for sexual abuse. It just wouldn't collect a dime. So, uh, I, I guess that's why they went under the table and sort of siphoned off the money for it. But uh, really, I. I don't know what to you, you can do to, to stop it happening. Uh, it, it always uh, it, it's something that uh, we only find out after the fact. I mean, I guess this you know, goes all the way up to it, are all institu- do all institutions that deal with children end up attracting predators? Right? I mean, this is one of the issues. Eric, what do you think about this issue? I mean, with, with uh, Hockey Canada and their misuse of funds. Well, you know the uh, the funds, as I understand it, there's a a whole series of different things that the funds can be applied to, uh, and the sexual uh, payouts is one of them. And that's one, of course, right now because of that 2018 issue is the one that they jumped on. But So the issue has been around for four years. It's gone through a lot of the processes <clears throat> to be vetted or whatever. The woman involved uh, hasn't filed any charges. They're basically settled out of court, or at least they're in the process of settling out of court. And then when it came to light, and there's other people jump on it, and now there's going to be, a, I think, a really in-depth uh, audit on what exactly is taking place. And some heads are going to roll and things are going to change. But, uh, you know, it's four years now that this has been out there, and uh, we're just starting to talk about it now. I mean, and that's only the one in- instance, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, so I, I wrote an article about... Uh, hockey and and like canadian culture was over 
it was 12 years ago now. And although I don't remember the details, I remember digging up all these articles about, you know, on the, in a small town, it'll be actually a member of the police union, say, or, uh, sorry, police board or, um, a member of the RCMP who, who is billeting a kid who commits sexual assault and that goes away, right? Like the, there, I found so many of these small stories across the country that makes me think that, you know, the institution itself is protecting itself from something. And to Herb's point, like I wonder if there's something about taking kids out of their home environment, turning them into these like elite athletes, um, and, and basically giving them everything they need to do to just play a game that reduces their ability to make good adult decisions. Well, I mean, what you're asking is for kids to make adult decisions. They're not very good at that. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't think that this is something that just started now. I think it's been around for hundreds of years. It's been monetized now. You know, it's, it's big money involved in all this stuff. And uh, it's incredible the amount of money that's spent just on hockey stuff just to get a kid clothed to go into a hockey game. I can't believe some of the the costs associated with it. So what are we What are we actually doing? Where are we going? We know that a very large portion of these kids are just used as cannon fodder so they can get the top 10 to go on into the NHL or whatever. Yeah. And, and so they're being used, uh, although they don't seem to be aware of that. And, uh, yeah, I think they should look at it all. And I don't know. It's just It seems out of control like a number of things in this country. All right, well, thanks for that, and we'll uh, take a short break. The Community Radio Fund of Canada is seeking nominations for positions on its board of directors. By becoming a part of the CRFC, you can help strengthen local broadcasters in the Canadian media landscape. Candidates are needed with general experience in financial administration, broadcasting, legal issues, and knowledge of CRTC and Industry Canada broadcast regulations. Full details are available at crfc-fcrc.ca slash en slash 2850. Applications will be accepted through September 30th. Join Two Rivers Gallery on Sunday, August 14th from 1 to 2 for an in-depth tour of immigration, an exhibition exploring the impact of immigration from many perspectives. In-depth gallery tours are the second Sunday of each month, led by staff and knowledgeable learning and engagement volunteers. It's immigration featuring works by artists from across B.C. The next in-depth gallery tour, Sunday, August 14th, from 1 to 2 at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. The Seniors' Fair is back at this year's B.C. Northern Exhibition. Thursday, August 18th from 10 to 5, Kin 3 will be home to exhibitors promoting products or services to Prince George Seniors. Organizations looking to book a table or booth should contact the Council of Seniors for full details. Call 250-564-5888 or stop by their office at 7th and Victoria. Pioneer Days to Modern Ways, this year's Seniors' Fair at the BCNE, Thursday, August 18th. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, winds to the southwest at 20 this afternoon, a high of 25 with a high UV index. Clear tonight, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 8. Sunny on Saturday, winds to the southwest at 20 gusting to 40 in the afternoon, a high of 26 with a high UV index. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So I, I get the the paper copy of the Prince George Citizen delivered to me every week there. And after I throw out the uh, mass of flyers, I am interested in reading what's made to the print, right? And this week, there were th- no less than three stories about the library 
uh, plus an, plus an editorial about the issue with the library becoming a really unsafe place to work. Um, and it's funny guys, I know a couple of people who work there and, and there, there seems to be some division inside the staff, but I think that, you know, there's a work safe, uh, investigation that said we've got an unsafe workplace here, uh, due to harassment, due to biohazard, uh, through like human feces and sharps. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's a sad thing to me to think that, you know, the library, which is a place where people, like one of the last institutions that we've got where people can go in without, without a dime and, and learn something, uh, has been turned into this kind of, this scary place for people to work. But at the same time, it's always been a, a, a haven for people who don't have a lot of, of cash or, or a place to go, right? Um, and I'm just wondering how, given, you know, how the, the issues we're having in the city, how we're supposed to balance these things out. I think it's uh, art to go first now. Oh, if you insist. Uh, yeah, well, the, the design of the library, just the way it's built, that's, and its proximity to uh, the homeless downtown, that makes it a real attractant to them. And so they congregate there. They come there, you know, they got that parkade underneath that gives them shelter all year round from the rain and and, you know, like you said, it's access for everybody. You can go in there anytime you want, as long as it's open. And, again, it's, it's very attractive to them to do that. You know, you can go in there when it's cold and get warm or when it's raining or something like that. And, well, these are not the uh, the most um, polite people, let's say, in, in the world. And uh, I, I don't think they're really interested in reading anything or listening to any of the recordings that they have there. Uh, they're just looking for a place to shoot up or get warm or whatever. And uh, we were just talking about entitlement with the hockey players. Well, these people feel entitled, too, because everything is given to them. I mean, they don't have much, but what they have is all free. So uh, they're going to be there. Now, the problem is there are so many of these people there in the first place. It's not the library that's the problem. It's the provincial government and their policies. And they have a basic policy of catch and release. The police have, you know, they can arrest them and then they get released right away and the province won't prosecute them and... Uh, basically, they're enabling homelessness and vandalism and crime and drug use, all that kind of stuff, because there's no deterrent against it. So I think the library is just unfortunate to be caught in the crosshairs of this. I mean, I I spent a lot of time in libraries, and I, there was always, you always knew that there were a few folks there who were unhoused, and I've never seen any problem with them until very recently. And it makes me wonder whether it's a direct result of the kinds of drugs that are that are out there and available, right? And the behavior change that we've seen. Eric, what are you thinking about this uh, this issue? Well, I mean, the library is the uh, you know the uh, issue that we're talking about today. But this has been going on for a number of years, and it's getting worse uh, all the time. I mean, wasn't that long ago we had the woman on Fourth Avenue? Somebody punched her in the face or something, and basically because she tried to stop him from stealing and. Mm. You know, we have other places around town where they, they face this kind of thing all the time. And uh, the library is just the latest in a long list of people downtown that every time they go to work, uh, they face, uh, you know, people yelling at them or uh, swearing at them or threatening them or anything. And there's all sorts of documented uh, evidence of that. And you can talk to people downtown. And You know, we just had the... Uh, 
the 17th and the Queensway store shut down. I basically I can't do it anymore. You know, the people hanging around there all the time. Customers can't come in, oh, and it's all around town. And I think even in the paper, I read that you know the city kind of indicated there's nothing they can do about it, which is a sad state of affairs. Like this is a big serious issue, <clears throat> and somebody should be dealing with it. And I don't mean by throwing people in jail or whatever, but firstly they should recognize. <clears throat> that it's a serious problem, and then uh, they should look at what's uh, the causes of it and who's responsible for these people. Who are responsible for these people in the situation that they're in? What government departments or whatever? And then and then get somebody or a, a group of people or something and start working on how to solve the problem. Yeah. And now it's still going in circles. I mean, the the story that I saw in the paper was that this you know woman was accosted basically by someone who was coming in. It was during COVID without a mask, and then had a bunch of drinks and food. And you know she's like, you can't can't come in here like this. And she was accosted. But you know, I'm thinking there's a security guard at the door of the library every day that I've ever been in there. Where was that person? And I you know I understand the need for the person, but like why why is it staff that are dealing with these things? Well, even the security guards, uh, for the most part, are getting paid somewhere uh, not too far above uh, minimum wage. Right. And I don't know what their training is, but, uh, you know, there's if you're putting your life on the line, I mean, if you're RCMP or something, you're getting 90000 plus. Uh, not Certainly security not guards as a security guard. Yeah. We, we need to see the big picture, and, and we, we have to separate these people out, the legitimately poor have to be looked after. The people with mental problems have to be looked after. The actual criminals have to be charged and processed. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm a little tired of the whole town. Like, we like we don't have a bus service. You know, I it's know, been almost two years since yeah. the bus service is gone. we got people sitting around the bus station, but there's no buses. Yeah. You know. Herb, i, I got to cut you off here, Eric, okay. so Herb gets a couple of minutes. Yeah, I just add to Eric's... Uh, um, uh, discussion. I mean, it's not just the library. It's uh, the hospitals had this problem for years as well. Nurses complaining about being assaulted in the hospital. So general, generally, an overall decrease in civility um, and a, and a <clears throat> willingness to use violence. That uh, I mean, what is the answer to that? I you know, I think at some uh, some level, you know, you have to have some basic pushback. You know, they, I think the hospitals hired some large orderlies and. Um, uh, you know, the police have to be called, unfortunately. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, basically you've got to, people who, who are willing to use violence on a day-to-day basis uh, have to be dealt with and have to be put in, in prison. And, uh, you know, we, we you know, we basically just can't allow this kind of behavior to continue. Our society can't function uh, efficiently or uh, happily uh, trying to uh, put up with this. So we can't. It does. It does make me wonder. You know, the 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 question of the violence and how to deal with it. Um, is when you think about someone who's willing to commit that kind of violence, usually they've had plenty of violence committed against them, right? Uh, and the last uh, count here, fifty percent of the people who are homeless came out of the child welfare service, right? So called child welfare, um, and you just wonder where. Like where where is that cycle going to stop, um, and are we are we even on the road to that? Because if we're just if we're just continuing to like poli- like throw throw kids through child welfare systems that results in them living on the street, and then having them go to prison, it's just a 
it's an awful uh, cycle, and I, I really think that there's got to be some a lot a lot harder thinking going into how we actually deal with that. Well, we'll take a break and be after these messages. In support of the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, the Coast Prince George Hotel's annual Wine Lovers Evening is set for September 23rd. This popular and always sold-out event will take guests on a culinary tour of Spain, highlighting various wines and cuisine of the gorgeous region. Tickets are available at the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation office and at the Coast Prince George Hotel. Wine Lovers 2022, A Taste of Spain, Friday, September 23rd at the Coast Prince George Hotel. With summer creativity camps right around the corner, Two Rivers Gallery summer students are busy creating fun and exciting art projects, and they need your help, as they're on the hunt for empty toilet paper rolls and metal hangers. If you have either of these items to donate, drop them off at Two Rivers Gallery during their regular hours of operation, Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5, and Sunday from noon to 5, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Theatre Northwest has done a full reboot of their summer sewing camps. Included this year is a project-based camp to teach students how to upcycle clothing, make a men's dress shirt into a summer dress, update t-shirts and jeans, and make a memory pillow from old clothing. Registration and full details are available through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Summer sewing camps are on through the end of July at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre. Sign up today through the tickets link at theaternorthwest.com. Almost everyone has collected something in their life. Often we collect objects to remember a special moment or to connect with other people. Show and Tell invites you to connect with others through sharing something you've collected as part of your personal journey. Bring your favorite object and share some tea and snacks from 1 to 2.30 Saturday at Duchess Park Playground or Sunday at Clayton-Lay Memorial Park's Bandshell. Registration for this free event is available through Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So there's been some interesting developments here with regulations around purchasing of property. Uh, There was a report that came out last fall, I believe, on how uh, there, there are a few kind of small changes that needed to be made to how property is purchased. And now one of them has come through. It's a three-day cooling-off period uh, after you purchase a house. I guess you've got a kind of a three-day um, chance to, to kind of terminate your, your offer. Uh, Eric, I'd love to know, do you think that this is actually going to change? The, I mean, we are seeing a little bit of stagnation in the housing market, but it's still going to go back up. Uh, what do you think of this three-day cooling-off period? Well, I don't know. It looks like a, a stopgap thing just thrown in there because they had nothing else to do that day. The, uh, it doesn't come into effect till January 1st, starters. Secondly, it's driven by the fact that, you know, they get six, eight, ten, or fifteen different offers on a house, and everybody's in a hurry to get it. Uh, they got uh, people bidding more than the, than the listed value to get it. And I, just offhand, I can see people just saying, well, don't worry about the inspection. Just forget about that. And they just purchase the house. So, uh, and it wasn't that long ago there was no inspections. Anyway, we didn't have people who went around inspecting houses. You, you operated under the buyer beware and you purchased the house or you didn't. So, I mean, they can wait three days and then turn around and it's going to cost them, uh, I think, $2,500 or something if uh, they don't buy the house. If it's a million-dollar home, that's what it would cost. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's going to make any difference or not, really. The uh, house prices are so inflated. 
uh, you know, the biggest cause of inflation today is, is the cost of housing. And nobody ever puts the real costs out there as opposed to what they're charging, but it'd be astronomical. So it's going to, in my opinion, it's, it's heading down, not up. Herb, uh, one of the things that I was interested in on that report was there was a recommendation that the, you know, when they're, they're accepting offers, that the offers are are open, so they accept a few offers, and then everyone gets to see what the offers actually were. Because, as you probably are aware, there's all these bidding wars that happen. People will say, "Okay, we're going back to offers," and people are have incentives to increase their offer. But that didn't make it in. Um, you know what? Why? Why would they be pulling punches at this point? Yeah, you know, if, if you ever go to an auction, uh, you know, people sometimes get caught up in a frenzy and they they bid far too much for something that. You know they otherwise wouldn't have done so I, I think uh, there's probably a lot of pushback from real estate agents and um, uh, people in the industry that that would be a step too far but as it is look it's it's something and it's, it's probably good to try and break that um, that uh, FOMO cycle uh, fear of missing out um, you know the uh, and, and it looks I think the the psychology has changed uh, recently that uh, recent 1% increase in uh, interest rates uh, might have done the trick. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, house prices in, in Prince George have dropped about $50,000 in the last four months uh, on average. So, you know, this is, um, you know, if you can break that cycle of fear and greed and uh, try and get some rational uh, thinking into that process, it's uh, probably a good thing. Uh, probably doesn't go far enough, but uh, it's a step in the right direction. All right. Where is, where is this going? And you think this uh, three-day cooling off period is actually a... A useful tool? Uh, it it might work. Uh, I've I've uh, been at an auction and overpaid on a small item and been sorry about it. But I, it was small, so I it, it didn't bother me much. Uh, but when it's a house, I mean, my God, these like uh, uh, Eric said, these are inflated values. Like they're they're insane values. Uh, like basically double what they were five years ago what makes that house suddenly worth twice as much i can't see it and uh like herb said people aren't thinking rationally when they're you know they're getting all panicked oh if i don't buy it now i'll never be able to afford to and really they can't afford now some of them uh they get uh, like double incomes and mortgage to the hilt so they have maybe five dollars spending money at the end of the month and they buy this thing and then uh, you know what happens if a cost comes up if the engine goes out of their car or something breaks down where they need money and they don't have it and then uh based on past experience the uh, prices could very likely tank uh, i remember back in the early 80s uh inflation or or, or the interest rate was like 18 percent. people couldn't afford that they were walking away from their houses uh 2009 the price of housing crashed and uh, people were owing way more money on what their house was worth and not being able to make the payments. Banks were stuck with the houses. They didn't want to repossess because they wouldn't be able to sell them and get their money out. It's an awful mess. But there's a lot of irrational behavior that's going on here. Maybe a cooling period will get them to smarten up and think a little bit. It's hard to say. You know, When people are in a panic mode, they like to stay that way. I mean, are there other other policy levers that we could be using here? This seems like a very like it, it is a useful consumer protection for the FOMO thing. I agree. Like that, you know. Okay, wait a minute. 
that was a hundred thousand dollars more than I actually budgeted, but I was so excited about this house that I, you know, maybe that three day thing is actually just for the individual consumer, but for the housing market itself, I don't know. Like what's, do we have other levers available? Yeah, I mean, basically increase the pool of housing. I mean, uh, if it if it takes that, uh, there's a lot of condos, or not condos, but apartments being built in Prince George right now, but uh, yep. they're out of reach for the average uh, renter. So maybe Prince George itself, uh, instead of building swimming pools, should be building uh, some uh, subsidized housing for uh, low-cost, fa- for uh, low-income families. You know very well that it's outside the jurisdiction of the municipality, Herb. You've heard the mayor say that multiple times. <laughs> but there's plenty of municipalities that have subsidized housing, so you know Prince George wouldn't be the first. There's something else that I've noticed, too. Uh, you go to the new housing developments and subdivisions. They're all monster houses. They're huge. Yeah. Uh, what happened to the sensible little houses we built in the 50s and 60s? You know, they were, they were raising uh, four kids in a 1,000-square-foot house or even smaller. Uh, if you had 1,200 square feet, oh, that was a big house back then. Now they're raising 1.2 kids in a... Five thousand square foot, yeah, minimum, and it's. I don't. I you know, and they're and they're tearing down all of that green space up on the University Hill to do it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The lots are so small that there's no room left for trees once they get all the the fixtures in, and so yeah. it's a real situation here. Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody. I hope that you had a great uh, Friday morning and you have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.